Thank you for joining us today. If you'd take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're studying uh, the Thessalonian church and uh, we have been in this series on 1 Thessalonians now for quite some time and we've learned about a church that's worthy of being imitated or emulated and a pastor that's worth being worthy of being imitated and uh, we want to talk today in our text in verses 13 through 16 uh, about the sin that was committed against the church and how that the Thessalonian church remained strong and uh, I believe that you'll see in these words that there's a great encouragement for us as the people of God to stand strong in the times at which we are facing. So beginning in verse 13 of chapter 1, or chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, the Bible says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the words of men, but as in truth the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same, the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. And then he goes on to say, Who killed both the Lord Jesus and their prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they may be saved, so as always to be fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. In this text you have, you have a picture of a strong church is made up of a strong people. A strong church is made up of a strong people, a people who have trusted Christ Jesus savingly as their Savior and Lord. Not that they've checked off a box and done these things that say that you're saved. They're, they have demonstrated in their works that in fact they are saved, that their salvation has produced the works of salvation. And uh, they are continuing steadfast in Him. And the passage covers the straight, the, the, the traits of a, of a strong people. And uh, so that's what I want to look at. And we're kind of rehashing verse 13 a little bit as I shared with you last week. Uh, and the first thing I would have you to write down tonight is that a strong people receive the Word of God as the Word of God. A strong people receive the Word of God as the Word of God, and I would like you to note three facts about this. The Thessalonian believers received the Word through the preaching and teaching of men such as Paul, Silas, and Timothy. As he says, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because you received the Word of God which you heard from us. They and some of the believers had to take the word, however, to the Thessalonians, for there was no other way they could have received it. So some of them received it and then immediately took it out. And it takes people to communicate the word of God. That's the way God has planned it. And if believers did not speak and share the word, then it would never be heard and received. It's, it's a spoken word. It's, it's, it's a witness that demands uh, 
a testimony. It would, it, would stop, it would stop dead in its tracks and no one would ever again be reached for Christ because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And there would never again be a branch added to the tree of life because again the gospel is meant to be told. It's meant to be shared. The Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. And so the only way the Word can go forth is if believers share it. And that's one of the things the Thessalonians did. And the point is this, proclaiming and bearing witness to the Word of God is God's ordained way. That's His means of grace, that is, to reach the world for Christ. It is through the preaching of His Word. He has ordained the mission of proclaiming it to men. And, and that mission has been placed upon human beings, not upon angels or any other creatures. The duty to proclaim and bear testimony of the Word of God lies in the lap of believers. It is theirs and theirs alone. It is their responsibility. And for this reason we need to bear witness and we need to proclaim the Word of God every day in our lives. And thus this is the reason he had carried the Word of God to the Thessalonians. That's the very fact he took it to them. The second thing I would have you to observe is this. The Thessalonian believers had received the Word not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God. And that is it. what a phenomenal statement. Paul unequivocally declares um, that the Word he proclaimed was not the Word of men, but it was in fact the Word of God. He further adds that it is in truth that, the, that, that they receive the Word of God. Do you and I believe that the Word of God truly is God's truth? It is God's true Word of God. Well, the Thessalonians believed it. The, Paul believed it. The question is, do you really believe it as well? Do you really, really believe it? Would you stake your life on it? Instead, and in fact, would you stake your eternal life on the Word of God. Remember that Paul preached, what he preached was in the Old Testament Scriptures and the mystery of Christ which God had revealed to him directly through Christ Jesus in those years that he was being trained. Some think that the New Testament is only what the early apostles and, and believers could remember about Christ and conclude from His teachings. Some think the Old Testament is the only religious book and uh, religious is, is only a book of religious fables for the Jews written by great religious leaders. And yet some think the Bible is a great religious book chosen by God to use in the lives of people when it is proclaimed. Uh, sitting on the shelf they say the Bible is not the Word of God. It is only when it is opened and read and proclaimed it becomes the Word of God. And God uses its message to move upon the hearts of the people and convict them. Well, I would have you note a critical point that it can be it can be the determining factor that de that determines a man's eternal destiny both the bible and paul's claim that the word of god is not the word of men but in fact in truth the word of god as he says here in the text uh, the Thessalonian church and its believers received it as the word of god now, now i want to say something about it just just briefly um, the Bible for sure claims to be the Word of God, and, and that's a comforting fact to know that it says itself it is the Word of God. But we can look at the unity of Scripture that indicates that the origin could only be in the mind of God because it is one complete message. Uh, scripture has changed the millions of, millions of lives, millions and millions of lives for God. Uh, faithful prophecy and uh, archaeology substantiate the divine origin of the Word of God, and, and it, 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 it just absolutely um, is irrefutable 
uh, from the standpoint of just logic. Um, we know that in fact one of the unique features of the Bible is that it has always been exhaustively substantiated to be the Word of God all throughout history. However, the supreme authority of, of accepting the Word of God is as the words of Christ, we believe the divine mission in Christ and His apostles. That's what we believe in. And consequently, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible is a historical book of fact that, that claims to be the Word of God, and the Bible is the Word of God through faith. We see all of these things over and over again, and it, and it's just, it, it boils down to a decision you have to make. You either believe it or you don't. You have to believe all of it or you can't believe any of it. And uh, the Thessalonian church was made up of strong people, and what made them strong is they believed in this Word. They believed wholeheartedly in the Word of God. And so the Thessalonian believers also received the Word so that it could work and operate in their lives. It could work and operate in their lives. The verse says that, that it is God who works in us that believe. Uh, I have never known really God to work in the lives of those who don't believe what He says. Uh, why would he? They, he consi they consider him a liar. Um, but what, what is it that they believed? Well, they believed that uh, it was the Word of God, that in, and that if we don't believe it, then there's nothing left to believe but the words of men, as the text says here. Uh, there's nothing left to, but to believe the words of men, some motivational preacher, motivational pope of hope, so to speak. Uh, the best that men can give us is a message of, of, or words that stir us up to, a, as I said last week, a greater self-improvement or self-development or self-image, a greater sense of works and goodness, morality, justice, and equality and contentment. And as good as all of those things are, there's one terrible flaw. They all die. It all ends. Why? Because everything about man ends with death. Everything does. It en everything ends when a man dies. And the message in the words of men can do no more than what a man can do. And if so if they're temporal, if a, since a man is temporal, so are his words. And a man can do more than die and continue in his terrible separation from life, from his continual separation from life and God. That, that's just the reality of it. That's all he has if he believes in nothing else. He, and, and the reality is man can't save himself. There's no way that he can lift himself up. The standard is perfection. There's no way he can do it. And, and, and this is the reason man must hope and trust that God is love and has loved us enough to speak to us and to speak to us accurately and in to such a degree that he has chosen to speak to us face to face in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, if God no more than, than is to leave us in the dark about how to become acceptable to him, then uh, we'll never want to face him anyway. And so, since He wants to face us, uh, He has given us a way to do that. He has given us Jesus Christ to do this. Why? Because He is a God of love. He couldn't be a God of love and not tell us how to be saved and not tell us what His message is. And so, a God of love who would love and speak to us clearly and accurately without error. If you really believe God is love, then you believe God has spoken to us without error. You believe that He has spoken to us accurately and that we can unmistakably know Him both ourselves and the world can know Him because He has spoken to us. So who are we and why are we here and why are things the way that they are and where are we going? God answers all of those questions and this is the glorious gospel that God has loved us and has given us His Word, the very Word of God itself known as the Holy Scriptures. 
which the Thessalonian church believed. Some of the Thessalonians believed in the Word of God, and therefore God worked immediately in their hearts and lives, converting and growing them in grace and in knowledge and in strength like His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the reality of it is you have that, that concept, a strong church is a church of strong people, and what made those people strong is they accepted the Word of God. You know, the Scripture says if God is for us, who can be against us? If God's for you, who can be against you? So the reality of it is, is that hearing the Word of God, receiving it, receiving Christ as my Savior, I have God with me. He's not against me. So who can be against me? So they were a strong people. Number two, a strong people become followers of a strong church. A strong people become followers of a strong church. And we see evidence of this in verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. In Judea. Now, he mentions Judea. He's, he's talking to Thessalonians about the churches in, in Judea. Note that it was their own countrymen, however, here in Thessalonica that were persecuting him just like the Judeans were persecuting the church in Judea, he goes on to say, For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did by the Judeans. And so what had happened, it was their own countrymen who were persecuting them, both Jew and Gentile, but the instigators were the Jews. And I want to give you a Bible verse for this. It's, the Bible says, But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of baser sorts, and gathered a company that set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out of the people. That's Acts 17.5. So whether it was in Thessalonica or it was in, in Judea, uh, the instigators were the Jews. And some, some commentators titled this passage of Scripture, The Sins of the Jews. The Sins of the Jews. Now I want you to understand something very clear. This is not speaking about all Jews, but it is speaking about the Jews who sinned here in this text and, and who have stored up the fullness of God's condemnation on them. And uh, so, this, so I don't want you to think of, a, of this being anti-Semitic. Uh, this is a biblical record of, of how the Jews persecuted the church, both in Judea and Thessalonica. And this is exactly what was happening. This was their own countrymen were persecuting them. So therefore, Paul was able to say to the Thessalonian believers that they're following the great example of the Judean churches and that they were standing fast for Christ even as the Judean church stood fast for Christ. In the midst of being persecuted by their own, they stood fast. And so I would just have you note two lessons here. Nothing cuts and threatens us like the opposition from those that, we're, that are closest to us. Nothing hurts worse. Our family, our friends, our neighbors, our countrymen. When those whom we love most oppose us, the temptation to give in is the strongest. Um, this is just a fact of life, and we, but we must never give in. We must never give in. We must continue on, on with Christ, trusting Him to take care of us and, and to win as many of our persecutors to Christ through the testimony of our steadfastness. Um, this, was the Judean, this is what the Judean believers did, and this is what Paul is encouraging the Thessalonian church to continue to do because, in fact, they had been doing this, standing fast for Christ no matter what the opposition was that was confronting them. And one of the second lesson I would give you from this is the second, one of the strongest helps when facing persecution is to look at the examples of others. 
we glean much information from the examples of other people who have stood strong against opposition. Uh, we love underdogs. Uh, we love to read biographies of men that have overcome and women that have overcome great obstacles. This is what the Thessalonian believers did. I was reading a story the other day about Fanny Crosby, the great gospel writer, and, and she was, the, it, it showed a picture and she was playing the piano and someone said, wouldn't it have been great if she had never uh, gone blind? What a, what a waste. And Fanny Crosby replies saying, I wish I had been born blind my whole life so that the first things I see with my eyes is the face of Jesus. That's a, that is a story that just completely uh, gives us hope. Somebody who overcomes their advers uh, adversity. So I want you to understand this. The faithfulness of both the Judeans and the Thessalonian believers stand as a strong example for us today. So a strong church is a church of strong people. A strong people become followers of a ch strong church. And number three, in verses 15 through 16, we see st a strong church escapes the guilt of the Jews. A strong church escapes the guilt of the Jews. And this may be seen, this may seem like a strange way to word this point, but uh, I want you to keep this in mind. A person either stands in support of Christ or in opposition to Christ. It's one or the other. You either stand for Him or you stand against Him. The church either stands in support of Christ or in opposition to Christ. There are not many today many it would seem to me that stand in support of Christ. They, they, we live in a very pragmatic society and, and the pragmatism of American evangelicalism is, is taking over the world. And the pragmatism of American evangelicalism is simply this, it is the idea that if I check all of these boxes off then I receive my certificate, I have done what I'm supposed to do, I have arrived at the place I'm to arrive because I can look pragmatically at the things I've checked off. I'm going to tell you a problem with that. Because of that, um, people are checking off boxes. They're not building character. And I want you to know something. Character counts. Uh, the church has lost its way uh, for the most part. You have uh, the, the aberration of the prosperity gospel. Uh, you, have, uh, you have the absolute phoniness of the... Uh, of the uh, charismatic, uh, the neo-charismatic movement. You have the, uh, the liberation theology that has taken hold in many places. You have feminism that's taken over. You have now the church has embraced Sodom with uh, its uh, total abandonment of, of what the Bible teaches about uh, what God constitutes as a marriage and what God says as a family that honors Him. You have uh, the idea uh, of people saying that they hear God speak. I want to I tell you uh, a truth. You can always hear God speak when you read the Word of God. And if you want to hear God speak out loud, then read your Bible out loud. That's what it will sound like. You can always hear God speak when you read your Word. And if you want to hear Him speak out loud, then read your Bible out loud. We're living in a time where the church across the world has lost its way because some time ago it lost its soul. And the reason it lost its soul, which is its will to do what is right, is because it lost its character. Used to, the church was made up of people who would die for their faith. They would die, they would give anything. They would stand no matter what. The here, in, here I stand. They would die on the hill, literally. 
for the Word of God and for truth, uh, for the holiness of God, but it lost its character because it involved this pragmatism to just start checking boxes off. Well, I've done this. I've experienced that. I've earned this position. I've done these things. This for I am this. And when you check boxes off, you're not developing character. And when you don't have character, you lose your soul. And when you lose your soul, you lose your way. One thing we can do in the world today is look at this church, particularly here in Thessalonica, and the example that was set for it by the Judean church and say we can recapture our character. We can recapture our character by standing fast in the Word of God, receiving it not as words of men, but the words of God. In many ways, this parallels my own country where I live. It seems to me that in my country it has lost its character some time ago. And, uh, and it certainly has lost its soul, and now we're in the midst of having lost our way. And the great solution to it is to reclaim biblical Christianity, which our nation was founded upon, and which the church of God was founded on, upon, and that character will take root once again with us as we excel as the men and women of God in Christ Jesus. So a strong church escapes the guilt of the Jews. And this may seem like a strange way. You either stand with Christ or you stand against Him. You either stand in support of the church or you stand against it. The Jewish persecutor stood in opposition to Christ and in opposition to God's very own Son. Everything that they knew was pointing to the Messiah. And when the Messiah wound up showing up, they didn't know who He was. They didn't know who He was because long ago they'd lost their character and their soul. And when Jesus stood in their midst as their Messiah, they didn't know who He was, and they killed Him. They crucified Him. Well, and remember, they were religionists after all, a body of religious people who were set on destroying the Christian church in the name of religion. That's what they wanted to do. But the Thessalonian church and its believers stood in support of Christ. Therefore, they escaped whatever guilt hangs over a person's head for opposing God's Son. They were the redeemed of God. They stood fast. They weren't going to crucify Him again. They weren't going to be a part of dismantling His bride. They wanted to stand fast. And the Thessalonian believers were free of the terrible sin and the guilt that the Jews had committed in the name of religion. And so I want you to get this. When, when what, were the sins of, what were the sins and guilt of the Jews? What were they? What did they really do? And Paul lists them. They're actually listed right here in our text. And, uh, and it's one of the most terrible, terrible lists ever drawn up against men. And so the first thing is this. Here, well, let, let's look at it this way. Verse 15. It says, "...who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God." and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So in there, what you have are, are several uh, of these most terrible sins. The first one that's mentioned, obviously, and in the worst one, is, is they killed the Lord Jesus. And note the title, the Lord. Notice they put the word Lord on their kurios. They thought they were killing only a man, only a carpenter from Nazareth, but they were actually killing the Lord. And by Lord, it's meant to include His title, the Lord God, the one who, who came out of heaven, the very Son of God Himself. They killed the Lord. And the terrible guilt is clearly seen, the guilt of killing a person and the guilt of killing the Lord Himself. They are guilty of this murder. 
They are guilty of this terrible crime. They are guilty of this awful sin. They killed one of their own prophets. That's the second that's the second thing that's mentioned in here. Not only they kill the, you know, the, the spirit of Jesus' prophecy, Jesus is a great prophet, but uh, besides being the Messiah, the Son of God, and God Himself, God the Son, but they killed also the prophets. This was a charge that had been leveled against the Jews even by Jesus, who said in Matthew 23, verse 31, Wherefore you be the witnesses unto yourself that you are the children of them that killed the prophets. Uh, this is another of their great crimes. Which of the prophets have you, your fathers, not persecuted, or have the, not slain, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, in Acts 7.52? They're guilty. They have the blood on their hands. They're guilty of this. Number three, they also persecuted the Christian believers. They persecuted the Christian believers. They not only rejected the gospel, but they wanted to destroy the message and those who followed that message and the, mess and the one who the message was about, Jesus Christ. They did not want anyone to follow Jesus Christ, all in the name of their religion. They, they, they did not want anyone to follow Him. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus, and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put hold of them until the next day, for it was now eventide. So they persecuted, they came down upon them, they, they toppled them because they were telling the story. So they killed the Lord, they killed their own prophets, they, they persecuted Christian believers. But here's the fourth one. They did not please God. Now that's a terrible crime, to not please God. To not please God. No person can please God if he stands in opposition to Christ. No person can please God if, he's, if, if he stands in opposition to Christ. Uh, the only way a person can please God is to surrender his life to Christ. That is the only way you can do it is faith in Christ, for it's impossible to please God without faith. That's Hebrews eleven six 6, to give all that He is and He has to Christ. The Jews were not about to do this. The Jews of those days were not about to do this. Nothing was going to break them away from their own religious ceremonies and ideas about religion. There is still a remnant of these Jews today. You can go to Israel and they will absolutely, if they had the opportunity to tear you to shreds for preaching Christ, they would. Now that's not the majority of the people. That's, that's a very small minority. But that spirit that is in this text, that spirit of persecution is very much alive. Is very much alive. You can, you can see it on the internet. Uh, there is uh, the, the cursing of the followers of the way. The cursing of those who follow Jesus Christ by uh, these, these Jews. It, it, is, it is real. And I want to tell you something. It does not please God. It does not please God because they are attacking the ones who have trusted His Son. And the Jews were not about to, to trust Jesus as the Messiah. Number four, they were contrary to all men. They were contrary to all men. They opposed and hated anyone who did not believe as they did, so they shut them out. If they were not austere enough, if they were not committed enough, if they were not uh, uh, in lockstep enough with the people that, that held forth the religious the predominant religious view of that day, they shut them out. Or worse, or worse, uh, they should have loved those who differed with them. That is the teaching of God, to love those who differed with them, but instead they, they bitterly despised them. They bitterly despised them. And this is the difference between Christianity and Judaism and, and so many other re religions, because I want you to know something. We who believe 
the claim that Christ Jesus and the Holy Scripture are true and real, we, we are called not to hate those who oppose us. We are called not to hate those who oppose us. We love them and we do all we can to reach them and to help them. Jesus even said, love your enemies. Let, do good to those who persecute you. That's the calling that we have on our life as followers of Jesus. We help meet the needs of every man, even if it goes to his grave ex without accepting Christ. We're to do good to men. We're to be known for our good works. We love him, therefore we want, to, we want somebody who is lost to love him too. And because they don't know him, they can know him through our love for them. Even G Paul talks about this to the Roman church on how he, he desires the Jews to be transformed by the living gospel that is in the believers, the Jews that became believers at Rome and the Gentiles. But if he rejects Christ, if a, if a man rejects Christ, he does not call to believe, he does not demonstrate belief, well, we don't cast him off. We continue to help him in any way we can, and we do this in love. What is a shame is that we're willing to do this with the lost, but we're, it seems to me we struggle with doing this with the unredeemed in the church. The Bible's very clear that there are those in the church that are not redeemed. Oh, they've checked off the checks. The boxes have been checked off. Uh, they have their baptism certificate. They have been given their honors. They've had holy hands laid upon them. But in the heart of hearts, they're not born again. They have checked off all the box. They're pragmatic instead of experiential. And their fruit shows it. And when we see those people, it is my, my view in the church, we tend to treat those people um, different than we would teach a lost person out on the street that doesn't know Christ. And we say things like, well, they ought to know better. No, we're commanded to love our neighbor as we love the Lord and as we love ourselves. We're to love everyone. That's just what the Bible says. And if the Bible says it, then that settles it. That's one of the things the Thessalonian church did. It's one of the things the Judean church did. They stood fast for the church and the claims of Christ and His teaching. And consequently, here's something that happened. The Jews, here's the sixth thing that's, that's so terrible the sin of the Jews, they compounded their own guilt. They compounded their own guilt. They actually tried to stamp out the Word of God lest some person be saved. This is their modus operandi. They, they literally tried to stamp it out, stamp it all out. Imagine trying to stop God's Word. Can you imagine this? How in the world can a man stop the world of, Word of God? And the answer is self-evident. You cannot. Anywhere the church is, is persecuted, it grows. Anywhere the visible, triumphant church is persecuted, the, the church of true believers, where it's persecuted, it grows. It flourishes. It, it, just, it just does. It, it flourishes under great hard time. Even a world of men cannot stop God's Word. Um, they, they can't, the, the, the foolishness of men thinks they can, think they can, and it was the foolishness of Jews that they could stop the Word of God, that they could, in fact, stop Jesus Christ, and the result of all the Jews' efforts to stop God's Word was twofold. Number one, they continued to pile up their sins. They continued to pile up their sins. They became full and even overflowed 
with their own sins. And this is a terrible indictment. That's what the text says. Look what it says in verse 16. To fill up the measure of their sins. To fill up the measure of their sins. The idea is they sin so much that they reach the point of no return. They reach the point of no return. Returning to God would be impossible for them. Is, is the way the text indicates here. They had gone so far, as Romans chapter 1 says, being given over to a depraved mind, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1, literally given over. So they continued to pile up their sins by opposing the Word of God. I want to just give you a warning. Um, as God is my witness, do not oppose the preaching of the Word in your church. Do not oppose the men who preach the Word in your church. Just don't do it. Because you will pile up for yourself sins. Do not thwart what God has given. Do not, as the Bible says, do not put a muzzle on the oxen while they tread out the Word of God. Don't do it. Don't get in that habit. Don't say things like, you know what, this is too long, this is too boring, this is, it's not always going to be good. Sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes you're going to feel the sting of the Word. Sometimes you're going to feel your, your toes getting stepped on. Not all the sermons are out of Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39 that talk about, I mean, that's the, that is the summit of the Scripture. There is now therefore no condemnation and neither height nor depth nor length or breadth or anything like that can separate us from the love of God. That is the highest point of all the Scripture. It's the crowning jewel of the Scripture. That's not all the Scripture. It's not, it's, it's not going to say, well, you know what, I just want to hear good old gospel preaching. I wouldn't say that. Because if, if the Word of God's being preached, the gospel's being preached, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It doesn't say faith comes by hearing, hearing by the gospel of God. It says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I would, make, I would be very careful because a strong people are part of, they follow the example of a strong church, and these people receive the Word of God as of, from God, not of as men. And you need to receive your pastor and your preacher when he preaches that he's preaching the Word of God, if in fact he is preaching with an open Bible. And he is going through the text verse by verse. He's going to be, he's going to be a fallen man, a fallible man, an imperfect man. But you need to receive it nonetheless, as the, or you will be making the same mistake of the religious Jews the same mistake of the religious Jews. And you don't want to do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Whoever you are and wherever you are, don't do that. Show deference, as the Scripture says. Pastors are called to encourage, admonish, and instruct. And be, be gracious to it. Don't deny God's hand in your life because of some idiosyncrasy you don't like in your minister. Let Him have His way. And as God preaches through him, receive the Word of God as he preaches the Word of God to you. And if he's not preaching the Word of God, please go find another minister. You need to find another minister. You must find another church because you're not in a strong church. A strong church that does not have a minister who preaches, a church that does not have a minister that preaches the Word of God is not a strong church. Okay? All right. The second thing is the wrath of God was, was to come upon the Jews to the uttermost. That's the last part here. But the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. 
who was it upon? Those Jews that would not receive the Word of God, those Jews that persecuted the church, those Jews that persecuted those church members for speaking the Word, those Jews that persecuted the ministers for preaching the gospel, those Jews that persecuted Jesus and persecuted Paul and, and, and the whole myriad uh, of them, James being the first one uh, in the, of the apostles being beheaded because he preached the Word of God, the stoning of Stephen, Okay, And so the wrath of God was to come upon the Jews to the uttermost, and that is the judgment of God upon the Jews was certain, for they had killed the Son of the Lord, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. They had killed His prophets. Those are the preachers. They had persecuted the church followers. Uh, they had stood against all men that did not agree with them, and they tried to stamp out His word so that other people might not be saved. I don't know anybody, and I have not in 21 years now of ministry, I've never known anybody that has purposely tried to stamp out the Word of God in, in my orbit of ministry. But it is sad to say I have known many who have indirectly stamped out the Word of God. And, and it's a terrible price to watch them pay. Don't do it. Don't do it. Receive it. As this church received it, it all goes back to verse 13. Receive the Word of God as, as it is the Word of God, not from us, but from God Himself, and it is truth. They weren't looking at Paul like he was God. They knew Paul was Paul. They knew that. But they knew that what he said was of God. And how much more us, because we have ministers who now take the text and preach the biblical Word of God and nothing else. I want you to think for a moment as I conclude. If Jesus Christ is truly God's Son, if Jesus Christ is truly God's Son, then the judgment of God is inevitably upon the unbelieving Jew. The judgment of God is inevitably upon the unbelieving Jew. But not only the unbelieving Jew, the unbelieving Gentile. In fact, the judgment of God is upon any unbeliever. And that judgment is inevitable. Because even now, while they stand, they stand condemned. You see, the gospel means good news. The Greek for gospel is euangelion. Euangelion. That means good news in Greek, euangelion. But it means something else. To the believer, it's the good news. But to the unbeliever, it is the death sentence. And the gospel of God declares a greater death sentence proportionally on this earth than it does declare good news. And the question I would ask you is where do you stand? Do you stand with the good news? Do you stand with Christ? Do you stand with the church? Or are you an unbeliever? Do you stand with the Jews who wish to silence the gospel? You may not be trying to silence the gospel in the lives of other people. You only silence it in your own life. You choose. You will have nothing to do with it. You take no responsibility for what you hear with it. 
You take no responsibility at all, and yet you are completely responsible, totally responsible. Jesus Christ came to this earth to live a perfect life in order to die for the sins of anyone and everyone, the whosoever would believe. And that in His death, He descended unto hell. He took the keys of death and hell from the devil himself. He ascended to His Father. He paid the penalty in full, raised again on the third day, testified and was visibly seen by many, and ascended into heaven and established His kingdom. And He has told us, why do we stand here? Therefore go and do likewise, preaching the gospel to every nation, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, even unto the end of the age. The reality is of what have you done with that truth? Because you either stand with Jesus or you stand with the Jews. There is no middle ground. And it is my prayer that you will stand with Jesus because the gospel condemnation is this. Dear friend, if you don't, you are storing up for yourself in unspeakable, inevitable sin against God. And inevitably, He will pour out His wrath upon you. But there is a way of escape, and it is through Christ Jesus. And Jesus Christ came, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We learned this from this tremendous testimony of this church that stood firm in the midst of being persecuted by their own countrymen in Macedonia, there in Thessalonica, being persecuted. And we learn it from, and they learned it from the example of the church at Judea that was being persecuted by the Jews who could not even identify the Messiah when He showed up because they were too religious and they did not know the Word of God. It is my prayer that you may know that you know that you know Him, that you do not perish having committed the sins of the Jews. Well, God bless you. I'm grateful that you joined today, and may you have a wonderful rest of your week. We'll see you soon.